Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Across Time Zones. On this episode, we sit down with Chris, aka Watches and Whisker. Chris is a watch collector based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and is the founder of the Carolina Watch Club. He is one of the nicest people in the watch community and just had one of the best incomings there are in the birth of his daughter, so please join us in congratulating him. We talk about watch collecting, community building, and a very special Across Time Zones exclusive news from Carolina Watch Club. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This is a public service announcement. Actually, it's more of an apology uh, due to some technical difficulties. I wasn't able to attend this week's episode, sadly. Uh, My internet provider pretty much fucked up and left um, the entire city without internet for, I don't know, two, three hours, which was pretty harsh. Um, But yeah, um, apologies for this, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did while editing. Across time zones. Hey, Chris, good morning. Hey, well, it's good. Good afternoon over over here, but how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for being with us on the show. Uh, I guess I say us, but as our listeners will come to quickly realize Max is not with us on this episode. His his internet provider has a citywide outage that is preventing him from joining us, but hopefully it's resolved quickly and he can hop on. But uh, for the time being, he's not here with us. Yeah, and I was looking forward to bonding with him over people that love to drink coffee and whiskey to excess. So I'm I'm a little heartbroken myself. (laughs) I I will try and and, and fill that spot, even though nothing can replace Max. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Um, So we usually start the show with a wrist and time check. Uh, So why don't you do do us the honors? So today I'm wearing my Pepsi BLRO, and it is 120 here. I think that's uh, GMT minus four. I think so, yeah. 120 p.m., I guess I should say. Yeah. <laughs> and where where are you right now, Chris? And I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Cool. Um, so it is 10.19 in the morning here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I believe that it's GMT uh, minus 7 with the uh, summer time change. Well, we're, I am... we're either both right or both wrong. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And in your honor, I am wearing also a ceramic uh, Pepsi BLRO. Oh, there we go. I appreciate it. Of course. <laughs> I mean, when we met last year, we were both wearing 1675s, if I'm not mistaken. So we only, we got to keep the, the twinsies thing going. That, that, that's right. That's what uh, jump-started this initial uh, bromance was the mutual love <laughs> of the Rolex GMT. Um, but there you I, go. I haven't, I haven't taken this one off the wrist for uh, pretty much since I've gotten it. So uh, it, it was probably destined to be on the wrist no, no matter what, but especially given our GMT <laughs> love. Yeah. I mean, it, it wears beautifully on you as, as people will see on your Instagram. Well, thank you. Thank you. Cool. Um, so for, for those that don't know you, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm just a, a a watch nerd. I think, like the rest of the people that listen to and and have been on on your podcast, uh, I guess a, a lawyer by trade, but fell into you know collecting watches probably nine, ten years ago now, uh, and and so that, that I guess that's why I'm here. Uh, if I'm not otherwise, you know, doing uh, doing this sort of stuff, I'm probably love, like to be outside, hiking, golfing, stuff, spending time with the family. And speaking of family. Um... 
as some may know, uh, you just had the best incoming there is. Uh, so congratulations on the birth of your new daughter. I know. No, thank you. Yeah, it's it's been a, a wild and an exciting time. Uh, she she's the reason I have the the new Pepsi Pepsi ceramic, so I, I can thank her for that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she'll be stealing it not too long from now. Absolutely, she's already been kind of grabbing at it with, with the little tiny fingers. But I, I told her that the, her, her wrist needs to grow a little bit first. <laughs> yeah, I find Jackson also kind of reaches for the the Pepsi. I think it's the colors like the blue and the red <laughs> that are enticing to them versus the. Since Max, not, Max is not here, we can say it, the boring black dials. <laughs> right. <laughs> cool. Um, so you mentioned you got into watches eight or nine years ago. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, how did it all come to be? Uh, when did you, you know, first get into it? And when did you get serious about it? Yeah. Um, well, I guess I've, I've thought about this a lot because my dad asked me that, that question, like, probably a, a month or two ago. He was like, well, when did this all start? Like, when I... You know, when you were a kid, you weren't really into watches. And I, I said, well, that's not in, entirely true. Like, I always knew my dad had, he, he wore, I think, what every working man in like the 1980s and 90s wore, which was the classic you know, two-tone Jubilee Datejust. So he had that and like a, a Tag Heuer uh, dive watch that he used to wear whenever we went on vacation. And, and I always knew that he was wearing those watches, even if I wasn't like, you know, uh, obsessed with them in the way I am now. Um, and I remember having you know, Casio G-Shocks, a, a calculator watch, uh, the, the probably Mickey and Mouse type watch that every every boy had when they were little. Um, and then kind of got away from them when I was probably in middle school and, and high school. I think that was at the time when like fashion watches became real popular and, and fossil watches weren't really doing anything for me. So I kind of stepped away from it for, for a while. And then it really wasn't until I was graduating law school. So this was probably 2008, 2009. Um, I, I had been playing uh, a lot of online poker while I was in law school and had just like a chunk of money sitting in a poker account. And I figured, uh, I figured that once I was practicing law, I wouldn't have so much time to, to, to do that anymore. And then, you know, you and I met on that trip in, to, to Vegas. It was in part sort of based uh, out of a member of the Rolex forums, putting that together, Gerardo. And much like the Rolex forums, I was really involved in poker forums at the time. And there was a subsection of the poker forums that was uh, for like everyday fashion. And they had a thread about watches. And I would just re- you know, pop in there and read it every once in a while. Um, and so I was thinking, well, I've got this money. I'm not going to be playing poker anymore. Like maybe I should just get a watch to, uh, you know, to sort of kickstart my professional career. And it wasn't anything major, but I think it was around when Halios was coming out with one of their first watches, the, the, the first edition Laguna. So I think this was 2010. And I remember someone just... Yeah, shout yeah. out to Jason. I, I feel now like super vindicated that this watch that I kind of bought almost randomly uh, has now grown into this like uh, niche micro brand that people are just obsessed over. And he's doing you know, so much better stuff now than he was then, even though it's still a, a rock solid watch. So anyway, someone had said, you know, this is kind of a, a great watch for the money, great value, uh, you know, ETA-based based movement. Uh, I didn't had no idea what that meant at the time, but I said, okay, well, you know, sure, I'll just take a flyer on it. So that was that was sort of the first watch that I bought. Um, and then it kind of escalated pretty quickly from there, I think. Uh, from there, my wife got me a Breitling as a wedding gift. And 
about the same time I started to dip my toes into the vintage Rolex market. So I, I, I knew I wanted to get a GMT, but I didn't know really anything about them uh, and was like terrified of like ending up buying a fake. So yeah, that's, that's when I started to just sort of voraciously read anything I could get my hands on to learn all about the different you know, generational differences between the different GMTs, dial variations, fonts, all, all stuff. And, and then uh, I guess the OCD uh, nerd in me really latched onto that. And, and once you sort of learn how much complexity and depth there is to, to the whole watch collecting uh, hobby, if, if that's something that appeals to you, it just uh, accelerated my obsession further. <laughs> That's amazing. It's really funny how you hear from everyone, like the whole, it escalated quickly. I think it's always like you get into watches and you're like, oh, I'm going to spend X amount of money that I'm very comfortable spending on like one watch. And next thing you know, you're, you know, spending way more than you thought you were going to and like have way many more watches than you thought you were going to get. It's pretty funny. Well, what is it they say that the, uh, the perfect number of watches to have in your collection is one more than the amount that you have currently? <laughs> that's funny I, over the years I've, I've really refined kind of my my personal collecting in in really based around like what i'm mentally comfortable holding and and i mean from a mental standpoint like there has been times where i had so many watches um not necessarily in number or in monetary value but maybe a mix of both mm-hmm. and i'd wake up in the morning and be like fuck like i can't i can't hold this 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 amount or this value without thinking about it and and so over the years i've been able to refine and figure out what works for me personally i think that is part of the natural progression that the first inclination is oh my god i didn't know about all this stuff that was out there and i must collect it all yeah and then like Pokemon. And, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> i gotta collect the whole set <laughs> And then once you get through sort of that initial phase, you start thinking, okay, well, what is it that I really like? And, you know, what could I do without? And then maybe you've amassed a collection in a way that allows you to, you know, consolidate some pieces into a piece you didn't think you'd be able to afford at some mm-hmm. point in time. And then you, you really narrow down that, that kind of core collection. Yeah. And, and I, and I want to do an episode one day on... On collecting, but also like the the pressure that comes with collecting, you know, one of the things that we all fall into, I think, and, and those that don't at all or haven't at all, then, you know, kudos to you. But the um, kind of the pressure and the social pressure of collecting and chasing the next thing and not being happy with what you have necessarily, even though you should take a moment and pause and enjoy. And so like, I've definitely gone through that where at the beginning, I was always chasing the next thing and, you know, I'd get this really hard to get thing. And then I just wanted the next hard to get thing instead of pausing and being appreciative for what I have. Yeah, I, I don't know how much. Well, I'm sure that Instagram has a, yeah. a, a conflating factor in that. But I have noticed that amongst people, um, you know, just friends or people that I come across where it seems like the desire is more driven by what is popular or supposed to be popular as opposed to what it is you know someone actually wants yeah and you kind of wonder if there wasn't that uh you know hard to get nature of of a watch if people would independently still have the the same desire for it i mean i had i had uh, an ad actually offered me a 57 and a a 57 11 uh, probably a year and i was just like you know i 
to be honest, I think I'd only be buying it from you because I, I feel like I'm supposed to have one and I probably just want to sell it. And I'd, and I'd personally rather it go to someone who just really, really wants it and is going to keep it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, kudos to you for sure on that. And uh, yeah, so, so I'm very, I'm very happy and and like grateful to myself for over the last couple of years, really having having had that epiphany and realized that, you know, I like what I like and it doesn't have to be the next hot thing and uh, or the current hot thing. And I hope and it's made me a lot happier as a collector. And I hope that others have this epiphany or if they already have, then, you know, hopefully it didn't take them as long as it took me. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully a shorter amount of time and less dollars spent to get there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, I was talking with a friend that went through this and he had he had quite a busy 2018, let's say. And um, the mental stress and toll it takes on you when you stop and take a look back is very interesting. So I, I want to do an episode on that, which we don't get it. We won't get into right now, but just the 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 stress that might come with watch collecting. And it might I don't know, it might be a polarizing episode that not everyone likes, but I feel it's it should be talked about for those that aren't necessarily self-aware of that yet. Well, someone will be listening to that podcast while they've been like scrolling through Instagram for two hours, just drooling over watches that they don't have and say, oh, no, this, this isn't me. OT's not talking about me. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like I didn't think it was me either when I was doing it. Right. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not better than anyone. <laughs> cool. Um, but so so looking back now, what was your your most memorable kind of watch purchase or or event tied to a watch you know you your your wife got you the brightling for your wedding you you got the pepsi for the birth of your daughter so those two aside because they're obviously pretty incredible moments but any other any other moments you you have tied to a watch or cool stories you want to tell Oh man, yeah. I mean, th those two are so high on the list that it, the, any other story I tell doesn't even uh, measure up to it. But there, there probably are. There's at least one I think that that stands out. Um, I had been chasing a, a vintage Breitling Top Time for for like two years at one point in time, and it just seemed like I could never. I could never win one. I was always trying to buy them at auction usually. Um, and and it, it was like a comedy of errors, the things that would go wrong. Like, um, Something happened with my internet. I think the first time I found one, I was I was really trying to bid on. The second time, there was one on eBay that was going, and it, it was like the seller was located in the time zone where the auction was going to end at like five in the morning. So I knew I was going to be at the gym. So I, I was like, okay, well, let me make sure I set an alarm so I don't you know forget to go bid on this watch. Uh, I'm watching the auction going, and of course, I'm waiting for like the last few minutes to tick down so I can snipe in with a low bid and hopefully snag it. And then as I'm going to enter my bid. Uh, it says, oh, like you haven't used eBay on your phone before. So like we need to like validate this account. So I'm, I'm oh, frantically no. scrambling to like get my account validated. You know, the, the auction itself times out. And then I think by the time I was in like my third or fourth, I think it's probably the fourth attempt to, to buy one. Um, it was the same sort of timing issue. I think it was a Saturday. Uh, the auction was with watches of Knightsbridge in London. And the auction itself was going to be very early in the morning, East Coast time, and I was going to be golfing that morning. So I, I sent in an absentee bid, and uh, while I'm on the golf course, I'm like refreshing the auction results to see what happened. And the top time I was bidding on it said like, you know, no bids received, reserve not met, so they you know, didn't, didn't get sold. And I was like, what the hell happened? So like I, I email the auction house when I get back to my house, and I'm like, you know, I had an absentee bid in for like X dollars. I, I saw the watch didn't sell. 
you know, what, what the hell guys. And, uh, they ended up writing me back and saying, Oh no, well actually like, we had no bids in the room and no internet bids. So we just sold it to you for your opening bid. And I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it was like just an awesome <laughs> surprise after I'd spent like four hours on the golf course being pissed off that, you know, yet again, one had fallen through my fingers. And instead, I got one for like, a, you know, a song and a dance and just a, a cool watch and, and a cool, cool story the way it finally ended up in my hands. That's awesome. And yeah, that's definitely one of the cooler and vintage chronographs out there. And I, I think they've appreciated quite substantially since you got one, right? Yeah, I mean, this was 2012, 2013. Um, yeah. It, it, and especially since Hodinkee, I think, has written up a few pieces on them here and there. Uh, that, that always gives the, the good old Hodinkee bump to the, the pricing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting uh, this week, even with that Timex Q, I think, the, the GMT looking mm-hmm. quartz uh, ish, reissue that they did, where, you know, it came out and. Um, I went on the Timex website to check it out and it, and it was like, you know, that's a really cool watch. I even had a, a 40% off Timex coupon in my inbox that I tried and I was like, oh, interesting. It's working on this brand new release. Um, and I passed on it because I, you know, it's, I think it's super cool. I think it makes for an awesome watch, but um, I just didn't want to spend the money at the mm-hmm. time. And, and then Hodinki released the article and like a few hours later, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> that was done. And I don't regret because, you know, I, if I really wanted it, I would have gotten it when I Yeah, could. absolutely. Um, but it's just so funny to see every time they write about something, it just blows up. Well, I know, I know you're the one hosting this podcast, but let me ask you a question if, if you don't mind. Of course. Like, what, what do you think about like all the Omega limited editions and, and how quickly they, they sell out now? Do, do you think that's like actual demand from people who are that into speedies or people just assuming that people are going to want them and are kind of speculating in that market? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I So we had a, a meetup yesterday, uh, Watch the Bay meetup with Grand Seiko. And on the way there, I was talking with a friend, um, Matt Wiseman. We'll link his account in the show notes. And he asked me that question about um, Rolex and the state of Rolex, um, supply and demand, etc. But ultimately, the answer is the same, whether it's Rolex or Omega. And what I, what I related it to is the sneaker market. So... I I used to be really deep into sneakers and I still am uh in 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 my love for them but I completely got out of of the buying and and like owning sneakers because what happens now is the sneaker industry has become such a mainstream um opportunity for quick cash mm-hmm. that it's virtually impossible to get what you want when you want it and when you look at all these Omega releases, so like the Speedy Tuesday, the Ultraman that sold out in like minutes at four in the morning, yeah. <laughs> or the Hodinkee one, or, you know, the ones that were announced or the one that was announced this week that was at most ADs, I believe, pre-sold out. Um, I, th- I think it's unfortunate because I hope most of it goes to people that were excited and collect Speedmasters, etc. But a lot of it whether it's Rolex, Omega, or anything nowadays, is just looked at as an opportunity for a quick buck. And and so just like the sneaker market, the people that really want something don't get to get it anymore. Yeah. You mentioned the 5711, you passed on it last year. You know, if if someone w- were offered that watch today and had the opportunity to make $30,000 profit on it, 
you know, what that's going to do is is introduce watches to people that don't care about watches and are just looking for the profit. And so the guy that, that you know, saved and saved and saved and or didn't even save that just really, really, really wants this watch isn't going to be able to get it because they don't have a relationship with the AD or whatever, or they're competing with 150 other people on the wait list that really don't give a shit about watches and they just want that flip quick profit. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's it, like you said, it's definitely not specific or unique to Omega. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of across the board with all of those very desirable models. Yeah. And you know, like, and the example I gave with Rolex is because I had a conversation with, with someone, um, an industry insider, let's say. Ooh. And um, their point <laughs> was, yeah, their, their point was they're, they're seeing just as many watches coming through. What they're, what's different is that they're seeing an huge increase in demand for them. So, you know, everyone's complaining about the Rolex supply, but I don't know that it's the supply as much as it's the increased demand that the supply is just not yeah. needing. Anymore. I think if there's any complaint, then, it's more that they're not ramping up production to meet this increased exactly. demand. Yeah, exactly. Because when you think about it, if ADs have nothing in their cases, but there are hundreds and hundreds of, let's say, Pepsis on the gray market, then obviously they're coming from somewhere. And the people that are buying them are flipping them to gray market dealers that can then sell them for a profit and, you know, substantial profit at that. They're not coming from nowhere. If there was no supply, then the gray market supply itself would be a lot less profit. Yeah, and... and while I know very little about Rolex's inner workings, what I do know tells me that, you know, there's not a, there's not a case of these uh, Pepsis that are just falling off a truck somewhere and then gray dealers are snatching them up. I, I imagine they're coming from people who are buying them and flipping them or maybe some ADs who maybe have less than uh, Mm -hmm. above board practices. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you hear stories all the time about ADs that are like taking stickers off a watch and selling it pre-owned in their own store for, for a profit because now it's not new they don't have to meet the the msrp right, anymore right well so yeah it's unfortunate and I, I just hope i just hope what happened with the sneaker world doesn't happen to to watches even though it's well on its way there at this point well i guess the, the barrier to entry is a little higher yeah but but is it when when you when when, well, when, well. All, <laughs> but when all you need is is to front let's say twelve thousand dollars for a day you know, it won't even hit your credit card statement because you can buy, let's say, a Daytona for twelve four, and flip it to a gray market dealer for, let's say, twenty. The next day, there is no, you know, there's no barrier to entry. All you need, yeah, that's a good point. You just need to front the money for literally twenty four hours. And I'm not saying that's that's a, I'm not saying that's a very small amount of money that everyone has to flip for twenty four hours. <laughs> but when you're not actually having to use cash. You know, and you can get your money back that quickly. It makes it a lot easier to do that. Yeah, it's a very good point. So, you know, and if anything, I hope I hope it makes people realize what I realize, which is that again, you don't need the hottest thing that's impossible to get. I'm very very happy with my Explorer One, which is my ultimately my favorite watch, and that's not a hard watch, or maybe it is now a hard watch to get, even that Hodinkee wrote about it. Uh, well, it's starting. It's starting to get the uh, the OT bump now, yeah, and uh, <laughs> it, I think is is becoming one of the next hot watches. No, I don't think I have any even remote influence like that. I think anyone that sees sees yours without the Cyclops on, on the Jubilee on, on Instagram is gonna gonna want it at least a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. 
So let's switch gears a little bit.、Um, Carolina Watch Club. How did that all come to be? Yeah, it's um, in a way, it was like a club that was sort of sitting dormant, like you know,、uh, like Walt Disney being frozen. And I think I kind of stepped in to to rejuvenate it.、Um, so I guess let me back up to tell its its true origin story.、Um, You know, I went to law school up in New York, and so I end up in New York a lot、uh, for for work, and know a fair amount of people up there. and And the New York City、uh, watch scene is a lot more robust than the watch scene is here in Charlotte. <laughs> so、uh, I was visiting、uh, with the guys at Analog Shift one time. It was Nick Nick Pardo.、Uh, shout out to Nick.、Uh, I think he's moved on from Analog Shift since then, but awesome dude. Um, we were sitting up there and drinking scotch and looking at watches together, and I was kind of just bemoaning the fact that there was no such Thing like this in Charlotte that I could really do, and he said, "Oh well, you know, there's this guy I follow on Instagram.、Um, his name is Jeep Ninety Nine Dad. I think he's down in Charlotte, and he seems to have like a lot of followers. So maybe you can reach out to him." So I never heard of this guy before, so I, you know, DM'd him on Instagram. Basically said, "Hey, sorry for the the, the random message, but、uh, you know, a friend of mine told me that you're based in Charlotte, that you're a pretty avid watch collector. Just trying to find similarly minded people." To just hang out with and, and talk watches if, if it's something you're interested in, and he said, "Yeah, you know, there's there's three or four of us that we get together every once in a while just just for dinner and just、uh, shoot the shit." And so happy to add you to like uh, you know, the, the group text next time we put something together. So through that, I, I met kind of a, a a few guys here in Charlotte that were watch collectors,、uh, one of which、uh, had you know started at least the Carolina Watch Club Instagram account. But it kind of sat somewhat dormant for a while, and、uh, you know I'm very enthusiastic about this. So after we got together once, I would you know, harass the guys like, "Hey, we doing something next month?、Uh, when when we, we get something else on the calendar?" And so I kind of just took it from there to make sure we were doing something you know once every month, no matter how many people could come out, whether it was just you know two guys getting together to, to grab a beer after work, or you know ten people having a, a formal dinner. We just kind of made sure to keep doing something, and and from there. Um, you know the guy Ben Simon, who's kind of one of my best friends now here in Charlotte,、um, kind of handed the reins of, of the Instagram account over over to me, and I just took it from there. And you know, for a club that back in 2017 we were, it was an awesome day if we got 10 or 12 people out. You know, we're doing an event next week where we only had 40 spots for it, and we filled it in like two days. I've got people on the wait list, you know, hoping that people cancel to to come. So it's it's been really cool watching the community grow here in Charlotte. That's awesome. It's always great to hear. Of events like that, it's always great to hear.、Um, you know, it's unfortunate that there's a waitlist, but it's amazing to hear that there is a waitlist. You know, that's super cool. Oh yeah, I I never thought I'd be in a position that someone was like, "Oh, I want to come." Like, sorry, we don't have space for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's completely unfathomable when we were having.、Uh, I mean, I can still think back to one of the first get-togethers we had, where it was like literally, I think, three or four guys sitting around a table on a, a Friday afternoon with like six watches. That's funny. Yeah, that's great. What was the what was your favorite event so far over the years? Any particular one that stands out? Oh man, we did one at a brewery here in town called Heist Brewery.、Um, not that it was like it wasn't anything really special about the event, but it was probably just the one where. Well, I should say that there are some other watch groups in the Carolinas, and so I think, and, and no shade to any of them, I think we're probably the most active one. But I know there are guys in Columbia that run like the Columbia Watch Society.、Uh, there was like a Charleston Watch Society in, out in Charleston, South Carolina. Some guys in the kind of the Greenville, Spartanburg area. And I had this idea of like, well, if we plan out far and enough in advance, like, why don't we try to get like all these people together for for one big get together?、Oh, that's super cool. And. And so ultimately, I don't think I pulled a whole lot of people from the other 
from any of the other locales, but we that heist event, we, we probably planned and tried to get the word out for like four or five months. And this was still pretty early on in, in the club's existence where, you know, still 10, 10 guys or 15 guys would be like a big gathering. And so we reserved this big room at this brewery. And I mean, it was just packed to the gills. It was probably 50, 55 people that, that showed up. And it was just kind of this holy shit moment of like, wow, this has really become something. <laughs> yeah, it's always, it's definitely humbling. You know, I mentioned the event that that I organized yesterday with Grand Seiko, and I think we had, I think about 110 people RSVP'd. That's awesome. And of course, when 110 people RSVP, you don't nearly get 110 people, but there were still like, I think, 70 people, which is unbelievable. And it, it's so amazing to just, because at the end of the day, like you, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Like when we organize these events, we're... We're literally just doing the logistics of it because ultimately the event, the event has nothing to do with me or you or whatever, right? The event is is for the community and seeing everyone mingle and hang out and play with each other's watches and I think it's oh, absolutely and and. And I'm sure I'm sure you feel this way too. To me, it's just rewarding when people show up because it's like oh, they they kind of trust. Mm they trust what you've been doing to build the community. They trust that it's going to be a, a good time and, and people are busy. So to spend time out of your day to, uh, you know, travel to, to come to the event, if you're coming from out of town or even just from like the other part of the city where like you're fighting through traffic and giving up some of your free time. It, it means a lot to me when people, yeah, for sure. You know, just spend their time do, doing that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, the big thing too, is that this can be a very lonely hobby. <laughs> and so, giving people an outlet to connect with others that love the same thing on a more personal basis, because Instagram is great, but if you can meet someone in person, then it just takes it to a whole other level. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I love what you've been doing with, with the watch the Bay meetups and, and then this podcast, I think is really awesome. I mean, I get, I get at least one new account to follow every time you guys post a new episode. So it's, you know, slowly growing for me one by one. Oh, well, thanks. I can't, I can't take nearly, Nearly all the credit, Max, who uh, you know we wish was with us right now, is uh, is a huge instrumental part of the podcast, and I, I was very lucky to find such an awesome partner to uh, to do this with. Max, I'm going to pour a little bit of coffee out for you right now in, in your absence. <laughs> so, um, staying on Carolina Watch Club, I know you have a little bit of an exclusive you wanted to announce on the show. Uh, so why don't I just get out of the way and, and give you the floor here? Ooh, all right. Well, step step aside and uh, yeah, we we've, <laughs> we we've been working with, with Nomos, uh, who have been just fantastic to to work with, particularly Merlin there to to do a Carolina Watch Club exclusive uh, limited edition uh, run of their new club campus Neomatic. So we, they've basically worked hand in hand with us with doing a custom dial design, some cool in, engravings on on the case back for for the Watch Club and. Um, have been able to work with us in a way that we're going to be able to donate a significant amount of, of the profit from, from the sale of the watch to, to charity, which I think is just really, really cool. And uh, couldn't have been happier with how both how easy they have been to work with and sort of the preliminary response that we've got from our members uh, about interest and wanting to, wanting to buy the watch. So we're hoping to get our hands on the prototype. Um, I think we're supposed to get it in May. It was supposed to come in around this week, but I think it's running a little bit late and then hope to have kind of the, the full production of it done by July or so. So really, really excited about it. That's awesome. Huge, huge congratulations to that. It's uh thanks. Uh, yeah, it's a huge, 
it's it, it's been a slow progress uh, to to get to to where we're at now, but I, I I couldn't be happier. So is the plan to limit it to members of Carolina Watch Club, or well, you know, or is it more of a first dibs type thing? I think we would give first dibs to the membership. You know, in an ideal world, we, uh, people will buy everyone that we have made to, that are members of the club. But I'm also realistic that people, kind of like you said, you, you get people that RSVP to show up to an event, and you get about three quarters that actually show up. I assume that we'll lose some people from the I'd like to buy that watch to the next step of here's my money for that watch stage. So if we have some that are left over and, and unsold, then we'll you know pretty much open them up. Uh, but you know, T, if you want to get your hands on one, like I can set one aside for you. Good, you understood my question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 really beautiful, and I encourage everyone to to keep an eye out on the account for for any that don't get sold to. To members only type thing uh, because you guys did an amazing job. The design is awesome. The colors are are really really well thought through and came together beautifully. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy with it. I'll, I'll tell you, it's a hard thing to do to work on what I guess is sort of the, the retail side because there's a part of me that you know it's you want to sell as many of them as you can because you know ultimately we're we're donating a, a lot of money from each watch to charity. So I, I would like you know each one we don't sell is money that's not going to charity, but mm -hmm. it's also uh, pretty uh, uncomfortable to be like, well, let me lay out up front all this cost for these watches. And if I'm sitting on 20 of them at the end of the day, that's uh, <laughs> that's harder to explain to my wife than, you know, you know, buying the, the Pepsi GMT. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. But yeah, good on you. It's using, using, you know, the platform as a way to give back and and giving people something that they actually want but at the same time allowing them to make a good positive contribution is 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 yeah it's incredible so you know good job for sure yeah and i think i mean i think that's one of the best things that, that red bar has done too i mean they, they've done an awesome job both in, in building their own kind of community of, of watch collectors and i've always admired how they you know have a charitable aspect too so can't can't say I you know was the original one that came up with the idea just just following in their footsteps. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great, and I I really appreciate when when members of the community that have you know a large audience use that platform to to make good. You know, I was talking to uh, Rob, so Spanish Rob, on Instagram yesterday, and he made this post where you know it was about the anti-abortion laws that have been going on in the u.s and he made this post and he started with i'm sure i'll lose a ton of followers for this non-watch related post but yeah <laughs> I, I could i couldn't live with myself if i didn't use my platform to voice these opinions and we were chatting back and forth and you know i i commend him for doing that and others for doing the same it's you know we all have a, a smart but small but important part to play and and yeah using platform to make good is is the best we can do for sure so Chris, back to the um, Nomos collaboration. Tell us a little bit about how the partnership came to be and how it was along the way to get to where you are now. Yeah, um, he's here in town. He's, um, you know, he's the, the general store named Windsor Jewels. They're based in, in Winston-Salem, but he kind of heads up the, the Charlotte branch. And so he's got the relationship with, with Nomos there. And he'd been talking with, with Merlin, who, who is their representative, about kind of the Wash Club. And he knew that Nomos had done some limited edition runs before. Um, and was kind of feeling him out as to you know, how many will we have to do, kind of what are our options, and it just just went from there. Um, he was Merlin was as enthusiastic a, a, about doing the project as, as we were, and so um, you know that helped to make make sure that we didn't lose any momentum and and kept the project going going forward. Yeah, Merlin is awesome. He's just diehard watch fan like the rest of us for sure. Oh, absolutely. 
And and so how was the, the design process going back and forth on the little tweaks you wanted to do, the color schemes, the engravings on the back? Can you walk us through that? Yeah. Um, you know, the first step of it's what really blew me away. And when I was really like, wow, you know, you can see why these companies that have such clean designs are so successful at what it is they do. Because, you know, the first call was just maybe like a, a conceptual call that we had with Merlin and told him a little bit about the club, what we were thinking about doing. And he kind of said, okay, I've got some ideas. Let, let me just, you know, run back, talk to my design team and we'll get back to you. And so they, the, the first designs we really got back from them were already so good that I was like, you know, we could change literally nothing on this and awesome. yeah, you know, I'd be, I'd be stoked with it. And like stuff that we didn't even mention to them. Um, I don't want to get into too many details because it might ruin the surprise for some people, but they, they just come up with like little design flourishes that I would have never, ever even thought of without even saying anything to, to him that were really personal to the club and, and, and to the, the states of North and South Carolina that I just thought were, were super cool. So the the fact that like you know a design team working in Germany could make a watch that was so tailored to us geographically in our club I thought was just special. So then from there it was just like little tiny tweaks, you know. Oh, I don't like the color of of, of this second hand with this you know subdial combination. What if we you know swap these colors here that sort of thing? And you know they came back and kind of gave us refined their sort of more general ideas they had started with into some mockups of a bunch of very specific watches. And from there, we pretty much knew what we wanted, had a, had a few more tweaks, and it was then just kind of off to the races. That's so cool. I can't wait for you to show it to the world. It's, yeah, you guys did a great job. So hopefully this this will peer pressure Merlin into getting it to us yeah, quicker. Merlin, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Any any other uh, limiteds you have in mind? You don't necessarily have to say with whom you're looking to do them with, but are, is this the first of many or was this a one-off? No, I mean, well, I guess the first thing that started it was I had done, um, we had wanted to get like a like an official logo for the club a while back. And I had a couple members who all had pitched in with some ideas and helping putting it, help put it together. So to kind of thank them for that, what I had wanted to do was get some Spyderco knives made with the club logo uh, printed on them. And so... I was just going to do those as like a gift for those guys as a thank you for the time they spent kind of bouncing ideas back and forth and some even like sketching designs. And then when I was talking with spider cokes, I, I knew they, they did this pretty regularly. Um, I think I was going to buy five of them as, as gifts. And then it was like, well, if you, if you do an order of 10, we'll give you sort of our first level of bulk discount pricing. And it was so favorable that I only had to like sell one more at what was functionally the retail cost of that knife to, make up the Delta and, and, um, and, and make it sort of cost neutral for me versus buying five at full retail. Right. And so when we, so when I posted those knives for sale, I got so many inquiries right away of people who were like, Oh my God, I, how, how do I buy this knife from you? And that's what sort of first made me think like, Oh, maybe there's a market to, to do stuff for our club members to do kind of limited edition stuff bigger than what I'd expected. Um, now, of course, there's a, there's a huge difference between a hundred dollar knife and a $2,500 watch, but, or a $3,000 watch, but, uh, I thought the demand was there. Uh, so in a perfect world, I think we would love to do something like this once every two years or something like that. I don't know how much we could sustain doing one once a year because that's what I would ideally like to do. But I recognize that's probably asking a lot. And then I think also the the whole design and production process is slower moving than than I'd probably like it to be. So I, th I think to do that, we probably would have we would need to be well on the way now to kind of doing next year's uh, next year's right. watch but but there are a few companies that uh, i kind of have my eye on for for another nice. similar watch 
Are there any brands based in, in the Carolinas? Um, I'm going to get in trouble for this because <laughs> I know that someone has sent me uh, information on a small brand that is based in North Carolina. When I told them about the Nomos watch, like, oh, we should look into this company. Uh, and I have not done that. Um, and I, and I can't remember what, <laughs> what, what the name of it is. So I'm sure there is one out there. Uh, and I'm sorry for not remembering what it is. Well, if, when you do remember, let me know and we'll add it to the show notes so that, um, our listeners can check it out. I'll have to come back through, through, through my emails. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so looking to, to wrap things up, um, a little bit here. How, what kind of tips would you give someone that is looking to start a meetup group? Uh, I mean, the easiest thing to tell someone is, is just to do it. I mean, <laughs> um, to do it and do it with regularity. Cause I think that's been the best thing for us is that people just know that there's stuff that's going on once a month and, and we don't have, we're not so good about making sure it's always the third Saturday of the month or whatever. Um, but it allows people that have you know, scheduling conflicts for, for one month to know that they can come out the next month. Um, and I think people, I think people are out there and want to get to know the community more. I think that's probably why people like this podcast so much, but it's just a matter of kind of providing that resource to people. I, I had no idea when, when we started doing, you know, Carolina watch club that we would ever get as big as we are now. Not, not, to, not that we're super big, but I think for the size of, of the city of Charlotte, um, how big the club has become is, is pretty spectacular. And I think it's just in, in part because, you know, we do stuff regularly and then word gets out to more people of, uh, about us that way. That's great. Yeah, you're, you're right. I think it's definitely just a, a do it type thing. <laughs> and, and, and the first time you may have five people. Yeah. And that's okay because you made those five people you gave those five people an outlet and, uh, and and when those five people have fun, then they'll tell their friends and then next time you'll get 10 people. And next thing you know, like you said, you have a maxed out event with the wait list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, all, all of our growth has pretty much been organic. You know, we're not, we're not taking out ads on Instagram or anything like that. It's just, you know, word of mouth has, has spread and it, it cracks me up. Um, you know, I, I know I've mentioned Ben and, and Windsor, who have, they've been awesome in, in supporting the stuff the club has wanted to do. But there's another AD in town named ECJ Lux that has also helped out with certain club events. And I get text messages from guys at both stores all the time where people come in and they'll say, how do I get in the Carolina Watch Club? And I'm just like, oh, it's just amazing to me that, you know, word just randomly gets out that people hear about the club and they think that these are kind of the, the points of entry for, for it. That's cool. Do you do, do you do events at the ADs as well? We haven't yet. Um, both are kind of, you know, they don't want to make it seem as though, you know, it's kind of an AD sponsored club. Um, they want it to be more about just the community of, of, of people and they don't want people to feel kind of pressured to, you know, that because it's a, you know, Windsor or ECJ sort of sponsored event mm -hmm. that, you know, they're trying to get a, get a sale out of, out of things. So I've, I've talked to them about doing it only because, uh, you know, the one big benefit that I think that they offer, um, well, I guess there's two. I think it is nice if you can kind of kind of close down the AD for a night and just know that you're there amongst similar people and maybe it's less of a sort of hard sell environment if everyone's kind of just geeking out over watches generally. Uh, so, so I think that's kind of nice for people. Um, but then there's also the security aspect of it yeah. that I, I appreciate that, you know, stores have locked doors usually with an armed guard present and, and the more people you get together with sometimes, you know, not inexpensive watches, the more I kind of worry about you kind of gathering that much wealth in, in one space. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, so 
like I said, wrapping things up here. Um, any any parting words of wisdom you want to leave us with, Chris? Oh God, uh, I, I think you probably covered <laughs> covered the most important thing, which is I, I think people should just buy what they like. Um, you know, so you hear people talk a lot about or worry about resale value or what's the best investment, and it almost just pains me because I. If you, if you buy something that you just love, then none of that really matters because the enjoyment you get out of it is what you get when you put it on your wrist and you glance down on it throughout the day. And if you were then comfortable kind of spending a lot of money for it at the time of purchase, then who kind of cares? Like you're, you're getting what you wanted yeah, out of sure. the watch that, that way. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Cool. Well, thanks so much for, for joining the show, Chris. Uh, really, really happy we were able to finally have you on. Um, this was great. Congrats again on everything. All the best to you with this amazing new journey ahead with your daughter and then with everything going on with the Carolina Watch Club. I can't wait to see where both of those things go. And um, yeah, thanks again for joining. Uh, my, my pleasure, man. Thank, thanks for having me. And you know, both of you guys keep up the good work with what you're doing. I think I think the way you're kind of connecting the broader community together is, is, is just awesome. And uh you know, aspirational for those of us who are, who are trying to do the same thing on, on the East Coast. Uh, hardly. Max and I are just a couple amateurs, but thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All right. Well, um, I'll see you on the next one. And hopefully by then, Max's internet is fixed. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Have a good weekend. You too. Talk to you guys later. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Spotify or iTunes. And also, please leave us a review. Thank you and catch you on the next one.